Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, the country's longest-serving lifeboat cox, Kieran Cotter, on his retirement after 46 years, and we're on the first trip to Skellig in two years. Kieran Cotter is one of the most celebrated RNLI volunteers in the whole organisation. He's been cox of the Baltimore lifeboat, one of the busiest on these islands, for more than 30 years. He retired earlier this year, and this week I met him to hear about his life as a volunteer with the RNLI and some of the many rescues he's been on. Jane 1975, the 1st of January, retired the 30th of December 2020. So I, I've been cox for since uh, 1989, up to when I retired. Was that yeah. 31 years or something? What kind of responsibilities do you have as the cox of a lifeboat? Well, I, the first thing is you're responsible for the crew, the boat. If you go out and rescue, then you have added the responsibilities. You're responsible for the people you rescue. Plus, if you're towing their boat, their boat. So there's quite a lot of responsibilities. One on the lifeboat you have here, and what kind of lifeboat is it? We have a Tamer class lifeboat here, uh, uh, 16 metre, with a couple of thousand horsepower, uh, capable of doing about 25 knots in good weather conditions and as the weather deteriorates the speed comes down a little. How many would go out on a call? On a call uh, between five and seven on the, on the Tamer and on the inshore boat it's an Atlantic uh, 85 which has four of a crew. When you joined way back in 1975 there were different times, different types of boats, much less powerful. Oh yeah, the boat I was joined first was a boat called the Sarah Tinson built around 1950, uh, I think had two engines, something like 75 horsepower each, capable of doing approximately eight and a half knots. When you joined back in 1975, you were a very young man. Did you have a family history of lifeboats? Well, my, I'm from Cape Clear Island, so we moved here in 1970, and as soon as we moved here, my father joined the crew. He had quite a bit of experience of sailing and boating and... Um, all that type of thing. So he joined the crew straight away. And then I was in the Merchant Navy and I was home at Christmas 1974, I suppose. And the the secretary at the time maybe asked me, or someone in the crew asked me, would I join? And I joined up. Uh, it's a kind of, in a village like this, it's an almost a right of passage. Well, historically it used to be all the young lads, mostly young lads, would join up. They'd go down to the station, 17 or 18 years old, and they'd join the crew, and some of them would stay for a long time, and more of them would stay for a few weeks. What were your first call arts that you yeah, remember? I, I, you know, I, I try to remember back the first call outs, but I suppose the first big one that I was involved in was probably the 19, uh, in 1979 for the Fastnet race. Uh, about 15 people died in the race and then there were uh, another four casualties on a, on a press boat or a, or a boat that was yeah. uh, shadowing the whole uh, the race. And that race, it goes from the Isle of Wight essentially over to here off the, the Fasthead Rock here and on. On that day when they hit, round about the Fasthead Rock, they were hit by a huge Force 10 storm. It wasn't really forecast. It wasn't forecast. Forecasting at the time wasn't half as good as it is now. And they left, uh, when they left uh, Cows in the Isle of Wight on the, I believe it was the Saturday, uh, August the 13th, 
maybe, and uh, they proceeded west. The forecast was good. Uh, they rounded lands in the, the leading boats, and as they were heading up towards the fastness, on the Monday afternoon, it started. To, uh, wind started to increase from the southeast. A deep depression came in off the south coast of Ireland, and it put up huge swells. And as that evening and night got into the night, it, as it progressed, the, the wind went around to the west and it blew a storm up to force 10. And uh, there were most of the casualties. We were involved in, with, in two rescues, one a boat called Marionette and a, another yacht called Regardless. Regardless had broken the ma uh, her rudder uh, about four miles southeast of the fastnet. And the following day, we would have we have come in we'd have towed her into baltimore we arrived in here about half seven in the morning and as soon as we got ashore we were informed that there was another yacht in difficulty south of the galley we picked her up that afternoon we would have launched in again about nine o'clock in the morning i would say and then we would have picked her up mid to late afternoon arrived and arrived back around uh, maybe eight o'clock in the evening what were the conditions when you were out in the thick of it Originally, when we got there, it was probably about southerly wind, maybe southeast, and there was quite a big sea off the fastnet. And soon after we taking regardless in tow, the you wind. Were to find her okay. We had difficulty. First of all, we had difficulty in finding her, and it was actually the naval ship Deirdre that pinpointed her, because at the time there were lots of vessels, lots of yachts sailing up to the rock, uh, getting around the rock and heading for home. So there was boats everywhere. Uh, so we it took us. A while to find her, but uh, at the time the Deirdre, the naval vessel, had a VHF direction finder, which we didn't have, and she was able to find her first and pinpoint her, and we took her in tow. Did you know at the time that there was someone, so many people had lost their lives? No, we, we didn't have a clue, and it was actually during that day that all the lives were lost, because as the star moved east, the smaller boats were down off lands in the Silly Isles area, and that's where all the carnage was and all the loss of life was. Uh, and so that would have been later on that night and into the day that we towed in and as the weather got fine here the storm had moved to the east and that's when all the damage was being done. What other memorable rescues have you been on? I suppose there, was, there, there are a few really there's the Charlie Hahi one of uh, 1985 and then you had the, 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 the fastened race again in 2011 when uh, a yacht called uh, Ramler 100 capsized she lost her her uh, our uh, keel uh, about 10 miles southwest of the fastnet. There was, uh, of course, there was the, the, the ones that... Uh, there were, the really there were 18 ones. people on board that day on, on the Rambler. And I think it was 21. Five in the water and we picked up 16 off the hull. And uh, one of our crew members, Jerry Smith, picked up the five in the water. They were extremely lucky people to have that all the crew survived in that uh, incident. Because when you went out there, the visibility wasn't great. You had difficulty, even though this was a huge boat, difficulty finding it. Oh, well, the first thing was, when we, as we, we went out to actually look at this boat rounding the fast, and we decided we'd do an exercise. And uh, as we left Baltimore, the wind increased a little and she speeded up and we missed her at the fastnet. And she'd be way too fast for you. She'd be, she was doing in excess of 20 knots and the boat we had at the time was doing about maybe 16 knots. 
So when we arrived out there, we were there was a few more boats rounding the fastnet, and uh, we received a, uh, a call from uh, the coast radio station in Belinche that uh, a personal leaper had been activated, something like X amount of miles southwest of the fastnet. We proceeded to the area, and we had a look around. We couldn't see anything. We didn't understand what was happening. We didn't understand, and we we were actually trying to identify from the name on the personal leaper, but no one could do it because it was registered at the secretary of a company so after a, a personal leaper is a little radar safety device to carry on your person co- correct yeah 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 they call them uh, uh, personal locator beacons or personal epirbs or yeah. as when we got to the area where this uh, had been activated this uh, personal bleeper had been activated uh, one of the lads noticed that it, there was a light flashing in the distance a bright light and we proceeded and there we found the boat upside down with the, the only thing that was sticking up were the dagger boards. Uh, the keel had gone, and uh, she was completely 180 degrees. Yeah. And uh, they informed us that uh, there were 16 on the hull, and there were five missing, and we proceeded off to look for the five. But they sent us in the wrong direction. They sent us into the weather, and we said, that's impossible. They must be downwind. So we went back, took them off, and in the meantime, uh, one of our crew members was out there with some uh, uh, press people, photographers and that, and uh, he proceeded. Uh, they, at the time, Valencia Coast Guard, had, they had got some new uh, equipment, which enabled them, by putting in the tides, the wind direction, and all the information, they, it would enable, it would give them a direction of drift. So they proceed. They they this boat, a few of the boats started to proceed down the direction of drift, and they found them in the water. Five people who were rescued. Yeah, lucky to get out of it with their lives because of hypothermia. Yeah, well, a couple of the crew had been seriously uh, hypothermic, including one lady. Uh, she, she had to be taken to uh, Tralee Hospital, and uh, but it, it was modern equipment that saved their lives. It was the the technology that apparently was developed by an Irishman in New York. You were involved in the rescue of Charlie Ohi. Yeah, we were. Uh, I had just come back from a wedding, and uh, the phone call came that uh, it was prior to bleepers that a boat. There was some difficulty with some vessel off the mizzen head. We proceeded off out there and got around the mizzen. Foggy night, visibility maybe 100, 150 yards, even less maybe. Uh, and next thing is we saw a light at the north side of the mizzen inside in a little coos or cove uh, and we went in there were four people in a life raft one in a rubber dinghy uh, we took them on board the boat our coxswain at the time um, uh, christy collins recognized one of them uh, someone that used to come on holidays here and they greeted each other uh, we all sat down in the cabin proceeded back towards Baltimore and uh, about 15 or 20 minutes into the journey uh, my brother Liam who was on the crew that night recognised Charlie Hawhey and uh, congratulated him on his 60th birthday because his birthday had been a week or two previous. What was the reaction of Mr Hawhey? I suppose after spending a couple of hours in a, in, a, in a dinghy, they were quite subdued. At that time, they had lost power and drifted onto a rock. I think so, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they struck the rock and uh, it was a wooden boat and uh, as soon as they hit the rock, that, that area, the, the rocks are quite jagged there yeah. and hitting the rock, the boat had no chance and she broke up quite quickly. And they, uh, they were lucky, like again, to get out of there. There was another boat that uh, in the same area struck the rock, I think it was about mm, 2001 or two. The St. Gervais, with a crew of four, all were lost. 
and it was almost identical area within a couple of hundred yards. Yeah. You also were involved in finding all the cocaine down here a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, we were called out. Uh, uh, someone had. Uh, there was a call out, Castletown Bay responded, uh, they found someone in the water. Uh, sometime afterwards, uh, someone else had been found ashore. Um, and we were called out that someone had been, was, there was someone unaccounted for. We proceeded to the area and we started to search east of the mizzen, searched up to the mizzen, got around the mizzen and the helicopter was inside in Dunlock Bay. Uh, trying to pick something out of the water. Uh, we went to investigate and we discovered that these were bales of... We didn't know what they were. Uh, so uh, they had, we had some discussion with the helicopter and it was difficult for them to pick the bales out because the, the, the winchman had to drop into the water, tie the bale onto himself and then lift the bale. So we, 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 we had the ideal boat. We were trained for picking stuff out of the water, people. Uh, and uh, we said we'd give him a hand, and we picked up all these bales, something like 56 of them. Uh, right back here to Baltimore, we actually thought it was cannabis until we arrived here, and uh, the customs and guards and army and God knows what else with guns were standing, <laughs> waiting for us, uh, and then they told us it was cocaine. Bizarre rescues you were involved in. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, it probably saved some lives because uh, if that got onto the streets, it, the, the, the damage that uh, uh, there were something like 55 or 56 bales at 25 kilos, which is uh, nearly two ton. How many colloids have you been involved in in your time here? Do you have any idea? I would say, well, every year I'd be involved in maybe between 20 and 30. And if you multiply that by about 45 it's probably some seven or eight hundred. I don't really know. Yeah, a lot of lives saved. Well, a lot of people, a lot of assistance given. Yeah, yeah. a good few lives saved as well. Yeah. After all of the years now being on coal all the time, what are your plans? Uh, I don't know really. I suppose uh, enjoy life. I won't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning when the bleeper gets off in here. As the last year or two there, I would have found it much more difficult to just get out of the bed in that quick time, get the stock socks on, get dressed. It takes time. As you get older, you're not as fit. So, Well, you look pretty fit to me. Yeah, well. <laughs> look the best luck. Grand, all right. No problem, Fergal. And the very best of luck to Kieran Cotter and his family. Last year, South Kerry tourism suffered a major blow when it was decided that Skellig Vahil would remain closed throughout the summer but it reopened on July 1st. There were 15 vessels allowed carry passengers to the island and they were fully booked on the day. Noel Sweeney took the trip on that first day and his report begins with Finon Murphy of Murphy's Boatyard in Valencia Island who told him about the effects the lockdown had had on all the licensed tour boats. 15 boats rare to go today. Uh, what, was it, what was it like last year maybe when things were a bit quieter? <laughs> last year was a funny one because uh, as you know we were all in lockdown and... Um, we were kind of waiting with bated breath for a while and eventually we, eventually it was decided, the OPW decided, possibly rightly, that the Skelligs wasn't open. So um, most of the Skellig landing boats never launched. They sat in the yards or wherever they were being stored for the whole winter and, and right through. So they hadn't been launched for possibly a year and a half. In Murphy's Boatyard in Valencia, you look after a lot of the, the boats, particularly the ones who would be uh, heading up to the Skelligs. What kind of um, maintenance issues might present when they're tied up for the year? You know, the, the, the maintenance issues can be numerous and the normal, like there are the normal things that are cleaning your hull, keeping your hull clean. Then there's other stuff like you have to look after your your your, um, 
your steering gear, your your propeller, your shaft, your cutlass bearings, your steering gear, all that kind of stuff you need to keep on top of. But we'll say in the situation like, like last year now, where the boats were, were hauled, we'll say after after the 219 season, so they've been hauled out probably uh, into September, early October 219, and they didn't go in the water now. We'll say some of them there now haven't gone in the water until just just there last week, which was the end of June 2021. So they've been sitting they've been sitting there a long time. So that kind of idleness is the idleness is the is the enemy for all kind of vehicles and it's particularly boats. So in a case like that now you had fuel you had boats full of fuel and they all have the they all have the, the chance of getting fuel bugs so they would have to do stuff like draining their fuel tanks. Even something as simple and silly so it might sound silly as window wipers, they would all have to be changed. There are numerous things when when a boat is sitting sitting idle. The boats that are running every day, it's easy to keep on top of them. When a boat sits idle and everybody thinks, oh, that hasn't been doing anything. But the boats that are idle are actually the boats that will give you the problems. I know it's hard to, it, it's, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it, that is the way it is. The boat that's working every day is the boat that you want to have a problem with or that you can stay on top of. When things are idle and the stuff is numerous when, you, when things are idle, left idle. The owner and operator of one of these boats is former fisherman Neely Lyne. He and his daughter Cornelia have been working together for the last few years and today is the first day that they're going to land visitors on the Skelligs since 2019. I'll be joining them for what will be my first visit to Skellig Michael. My name is Neely Lyne. I operate a passenger boat to Skellig Michael. That's Landy on the Rock. Um, uh, we have uh, 12 passengers. Each boat can carry 12 passengers and uh, two of a crew, myself and my daughter. We will land today, yes, because conditions are good and um, the sea crossing is very good as well. And uh, Hopefully everybody will enjoy themselves. How long have you been operating the tours here, Neely, from Port McGee across to Skelligvickle? I started uh, four years ago. We, we missed last year, of course, and we have half of this year missed. So, uh, I had two full years, two full years, and hopefully we'll get this year out of it, season, you know, the rest of this year. You know. mm. uh, I bought the boat 17 years ago, and uh, I started out an angling business, which was very successful. But... Um, then, uh, four years ago, I got the chance to uh, go for a permit, OPW, uh, put out competition, and uh, I got a permit to land people on Skilling Michael. And, uh, so we can hear a little bit, of, there's a bit of noise going on in the background here, a bit of music and that kind of thing. Uh, people are getting, is there, a bit, is there a sense of excitement about Skellig's opening today? Of course there is, yeah, because uh, at least it's uh, something positive anyway for South Kerry, because... Uh, not alone is it the boatmen going to the Skelligs, but you also have the bees and bees and the restaurants. There'll be money spent in the area, which is a good thing for the area. What is the sensation around the area this year as opposed to last year? There's somebody hope this year, but last year there was no hope. And uh, it was very gloom, you know, and uh, other OPW sites were, were open. We were wondering why we weren't open, you know. We could have gone with reduced numbers if, it's, if we had to. That wasn't the case, that wasn't the case. So uh, we had to accept it and... Uh, now we're back in the road again this year and hopefully we'll keep going for the rest of the year. Uh, at the moment now the landing times are scheduled and you have three boats landing every 45 minutes. So in such a way that you won't have a big crowd on the rock at all times, you know. So uh, by the time the last crowd arrives, the first crowd are gone, you know, so there'll be less of number of people on the rock at one time. Now, what was it like, I suppose, waiting to get the go-ahead the go from the OPW uh, to do your job, basically? Uh, a lot of tension, we'll say, because uh, everybody has to, just like even the restaurants and everything else, they all have to get their boat ready. And uh, it costs a lot of money to put the boat in the water, because you have to have life raft, insurance, safety equipment. 
I understand that a lot of the boats in the area were offering trips around the Skelligs this year uh, and it's without landing. How was the uptake on that? You'll get a certain amount. You'll get a certain amount of people to, to, to go for a trip around. Uh, but uh, most most people that come to this area, they want to land on Skelly Michael. You know, I mean, there's no point in looking at it in a picture or just driving around. But uh, the thing is to land on Skelly Michael. And, and we're hoping to land today. So what are we going to uh, uh, hopefully see? How long is it going to take and what are we hopefully going to see along the way? We give ourselves an hour for the sea journey. You have two, two and a half hours on the rock. And uh, on the way, you could see um, uh, sea life. There. Uh, the original place of the transatlantic cable where that landed. It's a very important road, 1916 rising. A woman from Khmer, two first cousins working in the cable station, sent the message to America. Baby arrived, mother and baby doing fine. That was the coded message to say the Easter rising has started. So they knew in New York before they knew in London, you know, that was the exercise, you know. <laughs> Eventually, they were all arrested for their efforts. Then you have the sea life of seals and maybe dolphins, and we see the great gannet colony in Skellig, in small Skelligs. There's 50,000 gannets here on the rock, give or take one or two. The gannets, they lay one egg each year. The baby, after two months, is fully grown, it's bigger than the adults. And once it leaves its nest, like leaves, leaves the rock onto the and, water. Uh, we land in on, on, on the big Skelligs. So the and uh, there's two and a half hours on the rock. And, uh, we come back then. We arrive on the rock safely. And you're here, it's funny, normally we're here in May and I walked down to the landing this morning and I saw little baby puffins down there. Senior tour guide Bob Harris is giving an intro talk. Bob has worked on the island for over 30 years and knows the island intimately. That's not what you see in May, and I've realized it's July. It's two months later than we normally come. And so you're here today in the midst of... My name is Bob Harris. I'm the supervisor guide here on Skellig Michael. We have a staff of five guides who monitor the island from, from May until late September, early October. And we're in a unique position because we live on the island, and so we get to see a lot of things that people who just come out on a daily basis don't get to to see experience I've worked here for 34 years so I've seen some changes in the island but the rock has been, remained more or less as as I first saw it uh, we just arrived out yesterday because of the of the wait because of COVID and so I was amazed at just how it reminded me of the very first time I'd come out uh, arriving and seeing all the puffins in the water and down on the pier it's a magical place. It's a magical place for a number of reasons. Uh, there's a very, very fine balance that exists here between the wildlife, the natural history, and the monastic history. So you have this little monastery up at the top, which was built by monks 1,300 years ago. It actually kind of floats in the air because it's built on a man-made terrace. Uh, when you get up there and you're standing in the monastery, you would have actually been standing in air there in the 6th century because uh, it is terraced. And it's a tiny little place where maybe about 12 monks lived uh, oh, a millennia ago. And uh, then, in addition to that, we have thousands of seabirds, the beautiful puffins that everyone comes to see, but lots of others. And uh, they're very long-lived birds, 
and this is their home when they're on land. They're basically seagoing creatures, so most of their life they spend at sea, but they have to come somewhere to nest. And so this is a vital place because a lot of puffin colonies have suffered in recent years, but this one remains strong and vital. So Skullix is important for a number of reasons. You've been here 34 years. Is, is, this, your, is this your 34th or 35th? 34th year working here. From your experience, what, what is it that keeps people come, that, that draws people here? I think it's because it's so unusual. Um, it, first of all, it's spectacularly beautiful. Uh, of course, the coastline around here is anyhow. But uh, you know, you're you're walking along the coast and you see cliffs and you see mountains and they're spectacular all throughout Kerry and up the western coast. But you're at sea you're on this flat surface and here's this iconic triangle rises up on the horizon. Uh, something about it that uh, the people, uh, that draw people. Uh, but beyond that, beyond just the, the natural beauty and the, and the sort of dramatic uh, outline of the island, at the top you have this little little place where, where men lived 1,300 years ago and you have it more or less intact. Um, there's been a lot of reconstruction, a lot of conservation works over the, over the centuries, but at the same time you go up there and you see a little village that really, if the monks came back and walked around, they'd know exactly where they, where they were. And there's nothing else around. There's no modern life around. So you've got this little place where these people lived so long ago in its natural setting, and you can really walk directly back into the past. And for some reason, this, this is very, very, it has a very, very strong emotional appeal to people. I find people go in there and they possibly don't expect to see what they see, and they're always surprised and sort of taken aback by, by what they experience there. Noel Sweeney taking that first trip of the year to Skellig Michael. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.